The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming or arrival. It's a time when we remember the coming of Christ to a manger in Bethlehem. His coming has brought us hope, peace, love, and joy. In one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, John the Apostle tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. While it is possible to give without loving, it is impossible to love without giving. God gave us the greatest gift of love in the incarnation of his Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, John goes on to write in 1 John 3.16, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. In other words, if you want to know what love looks like, look at Jesus. He is love. This Advent, may your heart be filled with the knowledge of the love of God demonstrated in Christ's coming. Let's rejoice together over that great love today. Praise God. Praise God. In the late 19th century in South Africa, an old man was digging for gold. And he had this riverbed that he would always go to and dig in. And as he dug there for gold, he never found enough to make him rich, but he found just enough to keep him interested and keep him going. And one day he got to a part in that river that he had never prospected before where the river bank turned and he saw signs and evidence of gold there and so he got gold fever, right? Anybody ever watch that show Gold Rush? It's one of my favorites, right? Gold fever, right? And so he thinks, man, surely I'm going to find something here and he, and he prospects that area and as it comes to evening, he got a little bit but not too much. But then he looked down and he saw some pebbles on the ground and he like the look of them. They look shiny. They look nice. And so he slipped them into his pocket. There were about a dozen of them. And at home, he took out a little tin that he had. It was a special tin where he would keep personal items, letters. And he took those, uh, those stones and he placed them in that tin and put it up on the shelf. And honestly, he forgot about the pebbles that he found that day. Another 10 years went by, and he still hadn't made that gold strike that he longed for. But by this time, he was very old, began to be ill, and he had no money to pay for a doctor, and eventually he passed. A few days later, the police came to his house, and they looked through his belongings to see if they could find something of value to cover the cost, at least of his funeral, but they found nothing of value. Even the old house itself was just this shack that was falling to pieces. But then they looked in that cupboard and found that little tin. And as one of the officers opened it up, he gasped and he called his partner over to himself and he said, look at this. And he pointed to the pebbles and he said, I am sure that those are uncut diamonds. They're worth a fortune. You see, the old man had indeed been rich, but he died thinking he was poor because he never looked closely enough at what he thought were just ordinary pebbles. He'd spent his whole life searching for riches, but he missed the fact that those pebbles were the answer to his longings. 
I want to say this morning, we are so familiar with the stories surrounding Advent and the nativity of Jesus that often we don't realize what riches we find in them. However, I believe this morning that if we look closely at them, we can find some gems. Amen? We're going through a series on the themes of Advent and talking about what we have today because of the Advent or the coming of Christ. Because Jesus came, we have hope. Because he came, we have peace. Because he came, we have love and joy. Today we're going to focus on a third theme of Advent, and it is the theme of love. Now, love is is a funny word, isn't it? Love is a funny word because we can use it in so many different ways. I could say to my wife, honey, I love you, but I could also say, man, I love tacos. Like, I really love tacos, right? But it's funny that we use the same word for both. But this morning, I want to talk to you about a love that is greater than a love for a spouse or even greater than your love for tacos, all right? We're just 11 days, 11 shopping days away from Christmas. Just a little warning for you, okay? It's almost too late to order it on Amazon, almost, But as you think about the gifts that you're buying this Christmas, you probably have a list of those that you want to buy gifts for or or make gifts for. But as you think about presents, how do you measure the value of a present? This is uh, good for you if you're thinking about gifts this morning on how you can measure the value of a gift you give. How do you judge its worth? Is it by its size? Is it by its weight? Do you judge it by its cost or by its usefulness? You see, the more you love someone, the more you think about the gift you're given, right? I want it to be just right. What what I would like to do this morning is just examine God's great gift to us because it speaks to us of his love. John the Apostle writes these words in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. He writes these words. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Let me say that again. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. How do you measure the value of a gift. Well, how do we measure the value of God's gift to us? I would suggest three ways this morning. Number one, God's gift is measured to you by its usefulness. What is the usefulness of of Jesus' gift to us? It's right there in verse nine, so that we might live through him. Jesus said it this way, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Think about that. What, What an amazing promise that is. Jesus came not just to give us life or to give us existence. No, he came to give us a life that means something. He he came to give us a life of worth. He came to give us abundant life, amen? And it's it's life with a purpose. It's life which has value. It's life with meaning, a life that will have eternal consequences and, and benefits. God has made you for a purpose. Ephesians 1, 4 says, even before he made the world, think about that, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. 
Understand, if you belong to Christ today, if you've placed your faith in the finished work of the cross, you were specially created, you were handcrafted, you were uniquely made for a purpose, for the purpose of bringing glory to God. So my purpose is to live a life that brings glory to God. Your purpose is to live a life that brings glory to God. It's to encourage fellow believers to become more like Christ. We're all called, each and every one of us, to use our gifts and our talents to help others, to tell those who don't know Jesus the good news of the gospel. My purpose is to bring glory to God in all that I do and all that I say. And I don't know about you, but when all is said and done, I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Well done. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. I want to hear him say, you've brought me glory. You've enlarged my kingdom. You've done well. You see, God's gift of salvation is useful to us. Why? Because it gives our lives meaning and value, and all of a sudden we have purpose, amen? And our purpose is to bring glory to God. Secondly, I would say God's gift to you is measured by its cost. Now, I know they say it's a thought that counts, but sometimes you get something, you say, wow, you, you spent that on me? <laughs> really? Like, like, who am I? And here's the truth today. You can give without loving. You can have something to just say, hey, you know, why don't you take this, right? You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving because love will always cost you something. Be- because God loves us, look at the gift that he gave. It cost him something. And because we love God, we ought to desire to give him the best. I don't know about you, but I'm not coming here this morning giving him leftovers. I don't want to come here giving him half-hearted service. You see, God doesn't expect perfection, but he does deserve the very best that you and I can give. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, it was David who said, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. In other words, he's saying, if I'm going to give to the Lord, it's going to be a sacrifice that I give. He was going to give his best. He was going to give something of value and something of worth. Now, why would David say that? It's because he knew the generosity of God to him. And when you know the generosity of God to you, you can't help but be a generous person, a generous people. He has given to us, church, his most precious gift he could possibly give, something of worth, something of value, something that is one of a kind. God gave us his son. Look at verse 10 again. In this is love. In other words, this is how we truly understand what love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. God knew what had to be done to redeem us. He knew the price that had to be paid. He knew it was going to cost him something, and he he sent the best for you and me. He sent Jesus Christ, born as a child for the salvation of the world. If he gave that much to me, I'm asking, what should I give to him, right? What should I give to him? God's gift, you, God's gift to me is valuable. Now, the third way that we measure the gift of God is it's measured by its effectiveness. Now, I know we've gone through two points quickly, but we're going to hang out here a little bit on this third point. I don't know what I'm getting for Christmas. I honestly don't know. I can tell you this. If I get a toaster for Christmas, I expect it to make 
Toast, okay. If I get a coffee maker for Christmas, I expect it to make? If I get a curling iron, I'm regifting it, all right? I'm just saying. But the question that needs to be asked, and we ask with a gift, is is it effective, right? Does it do what it was intended to do? Now, the purpose of some things is just to look nice. A necklace around the neck, it just looks nice. A piece of art on the wall, that's what it's intended to do. But what is the love of God intended to do? Talk to me this morning. What is the love of God intended to do? Bless us. It's intended to do what? Come on. Save us, right? But here's what else it's intended to do. It's intended to change you. It's intended to change you. We talked last week about how God saved us through the work of Jesus Christ. How we were once far off in this place of alienation from God, but now we've come to a place of reconciliation, amen, where we have peace with God. But we know this, he doesn't leave us there. Because of his great love for us, he does a work of transformation in our lives. In in other words, he changes us. This Christmas season, as we focus on Emmanuel, God with us, understand Advent is about God initiating not only your salvation and your rescue, but about beginning to purify your life and make you look more like Jesus Christ. And he wants to change you for your joy, but also for his glory. In the book of Malachi, God is is pleading with his people for more, and at the same time, he is, he's speaking here of the coming of the Messiah. Now, if you have any history in the church, when the pastor references Malachi, you think, oh, great, a message on tithing, right? That's not where I'm going today. But Malachi chapter 3, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I want to read this to you because this is a, a prophecy of the coming Messiah. It says there, Behold, I send my messenger, And he will prepare the way before me. Who is that a reference to? Who's the messenger coming before him? I heard over here John the Baptist, right? And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Do you see it? It's the Christmas story right there. In Malachi, the Christmas story that John the Baptist is going to prepare the way, and then the servant of the Lord, the the long-promised Messiah, is going to come. And the people of Israel, here they are, they're looking for a savior because they've been oppressed, because they've been in exile, and now they've come out of exile, and the the walls have been rebuilt, the temple has been reestablished, and yet they're looking for God to establish his kingdom among them. That's what they're looking for. And Malachi says, hey, great news, it's coming. It's coming. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? In other words, the, the object of your delight is on its way. The covenant is going to be fulfilled. Your enemies are going to be dealt with. The kingdom will be established, but who can stand at his coming? Or who can endure when he arrives? Sounds kind of ominous, right? Who can stand at his coming? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. That's the priest. And he will refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem. Whenever you see in scriptures Judah and Jerusalem, that's really a reference to the people of God, okay? 
He's saying then the people of God will be pleased, bring offerings that are pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. Wow, okay. He says, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in their wages, the widows and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner or the immigrant, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And then verse 6 is huge. If you write in your Bibles, underline verse 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Here's what the prophet is really saying. He's saying to a people that seem like they're in the midst of so much darkness, in the midst of a mess, he's saying, guess what? God is at work in the midst of the mess. For he, the the coming Messiah, is like a refiner's fire. And like fuller soap, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. You see, the people of God in that time in history in the book of Malachi have now been freed from captivity, right? They're freed from slavery. Jerusalem has been reestablished. The temple has been rebuilt. So here's this place they have to go now to worship and to give sacrifices to God. But the people... Those people who have all these blessings have grown complacent and cold in their love towards God. And you see this pattern over and over again in Scripture, right? But we also see it in our lives, don't we? That that, that when we're in a place of desperation, we cry out to God, God, get me out of this, take me through this. But once we've experienced the rescuing power, now we forget that rescuing power and we begin to go our own way, right? And, And so our hearts grow cold again. And so the prophet Malachi, he is rebuking the people of God for being half-hearted in their worship. But, but the way he rebukes them here is really interesting. It's really interesting. He does it by appealing to them about the love of God. Now, I know you can read that passage and say, well, this doesn't sound like the love of God. In our culture, when we talk about love, we think of delightful things, right? Beautiful things, nice things, right? And, and we'd like to think of the love of God in regards to just how he forgives us and is for us. And yes, that's true. But those thoughts don't necessarily move us to action all the time, do they? They don't always move us to action. And Malachi is saying here to God's people, and I would say it to you this morning, don't be half-hearted in your affection toward God. Because God is going to refine you and change you. He is jealous for you. And he loves you today. And as a loving father, he won't allow harm to come to you as his children because of half-hearted indifference. See, Malachi is reminding the people of God, and this passage ought to remind us today, man, our God is a refining fire. And he wants to burn away the impurities in your life. He wants to wash out the uncleanness. And his gift to you in Jesus Christ ought to transform your life. J.I. Packer, writing about God's relationship to us, he says this, Still he seeks the fellowship of his people and sends them both sorrows and joys in order to detach their love from other things and attach it to himself. 
What he's saying is that God's love for you is so great. He longs so much to have a relationship with you that he'll send you joy and sorrow. Now you would say, man, if he really loves me, why doesn't he just give me joy? Like that's all he needs to send my way, right? That's all I want. But no, understand this today, church. God, in his great love, sends us both joy and sorrow so that our hands might be loosened on the things of this world. And as I loosen my grip on the things of this world and I draw near to God, that is where I am changed. I don't know about you, but if, if I'm honest, I often find myself loving the things of this world. Let's be honest. Not all of it, but there are things that, that get my attention and I can be tempted to worship those things. I can be tempted to make some of those things my God. I'm tempted to give myself to those things. And so God, in his great love, says, no, 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 I'm going to send you joy, but now and then, I'm going to take you down a road into the wilderness. I'm going to take you down a road to remind you of how desperate you actually are for me. A road that's going to remind you, man, I am really all that you need. And that's what this year has been for many of us, right? Many look at what's going on in our world and they say, well, it's, it's the judgment of God. I can believe that for those who don't know God, but for those who are his children, here's what I see. He is actually using this season in his great love for you to show you how little control you actually have. Now, we don't like that, right? Because we enjoy the illusion of being in control. We're never really in control, but we enjoy the illusion of it. And, and yet God says, because I love you, I'm going to show you how powerless you actually are and how powerful I actually am. I, I will show you that, that I am enough regardless of your situation. Because I love you, I'm going to pull you away from your idols. I'm going to pull you away from some of those things that you've been prone to worship. I'm going to open your eyes to the fact that you are not in control, and that's a good thing because I am in control, <laughs> And I can be trusted, amen? He can be trusted this morning. And so in his love, he's, he's focusing our eyes on him once again. Now look at verse 6, verse six of Malachi chapter 3. This is good news for us. Verse 6, again, it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Now let me tell you why that's so important for us this morning. Because the Lord does not change. Because he does not change, it means he doesn't change his mind about you. <laughs> and he doesn't change his mind about me. I understand the word of God makes it very clear that you were saved at your worst. It was not at your best that God came and saved you. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. It wasn't like you cleaned yourself up and then God said, well, look at you. <laughs> you look good. Come on over, right? No, no, no. You were. I was. In a place where we were confused and we were enslaved, where we were spiritually sick. The Bible says that we were in the muck and the mire and in that place we didn't pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps and crawl out of the muck. Understand, Jesus in his great love stuck his hand into the muck. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he puts his pure hand into the muck and the mire and he pulls us out. He lifts us up. He sets our feet on a rock. He puts a new song in our mouths. And here's the thing. 
since the day that you have been saved until now, he's been wiping the muck and the mire off of you. He has not changed his mind about you. Some of you need to hear that this morning. He has not changed his mind about you. He's not grown weary. He's not lost his patience. Man, I give him reason to lose his patience sometimes. But he's not lost his patience. Do you know this today? That an all-knowing, infinite God, a God who's acquainted with all your days even before you've lived them, the God who is out of, outside of time, who's well aware of all the ways you're going to blow it next year. Yes, God knows that already, okay? And one day you're going to stand in front of God, you and I, and, and we're going to give an account. And I'm so thankful this morning that when my file is opened and pulled out, it's just going to be, it's going to be dripping with the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm so thankful that the reference for my judgment day is going to be the cross of Christ and that I can be deemed spotless and holy in his sight, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ did for me. Amen? And I want to say, some of you, you're walking through this season, you're coming to the end of 2020, and you feel like, man, I just feel like I'm experiencing the discipline of God. But please don't mistake that discipline as being harsh. Just because something has been taken out of your hands this year, just because there has been some loss of something that you perceive to be yours, don't make God in his discipline to be cruel. By the way, discipline from God isn't always because you've done something wrong, but rather because God is leading you into what is right. Are you tracking with me this morning? He's leading you into what is right. Our God is a refining fire. Now, now what does all of this accomplish in our lives? Well, all of this accomplishes, according to the text, it accomplishes right offerings restored. Remember the, the people of Malachi, man, they're half-hearted people. They're half-hearted people, like, like many of us in our faith sometimes, right? And here are some of the things they begin to do. They would come to the temple where God commanded that the offering or the sacrifice would be unblemished. It would be perfect. It would be a spotless lamb or ram or an unblemished dove. And they would come and they would say, man, I don't think I can sell that sheep. It's only got one ear, right? Let's just give him as a sacrifice, Right? And they would begin to offer those things as sacrifices. They were half-hearted in their offering. And what Malachi is arguing here is one of the things that, that the refining fire of God does is it creates a wholehearted people where our hearts and our lives are lived in pursuit of Jesus Christ. You see, the refining fire of God, it ought to create this holistic life where, man, worship is integrated into every area of my life. It's not just the songs that I sing on Sunday morning, but it's the way I live my life. And, and I get to this place where I'm saying, God, I'm yours. Whatever you ask of me, I want to do that. You see, since he is a refining fire, how are we to think about and navigate this season that we're walking through right now. We're still in it, right? I want to tell you, all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are being refined right now. Now, some of you are, are more aware of the refining work because it's hurting, right? Because it hurts right now. 
because maybe you found yourself in a desert place because you're dealing with sickness or, or loss and, and, and it's real. But I want to tell you, we can feel all those things and in a way, maybe if we're not dialed into what God is doing, we can just be unaware of what he's doing right now in this season. And so what do we do in this space, right? How do we respond to the love of God in this space. If we understand that God's gift to us in Jesus is effective, if we understand that it transforms us, there are a couple of things that we begin to do. Number one, we do this. We wait on God. We wait on God in this place. So often in the hurting, in that that season, we just want to run through, right? Get me to the other side. But we begin to wait because we understand that it's in the waiting. And hear me this morning, it's in the waiting that God does so much of his work. And when we wait on the Lord, we are earnest for him to do that work in our lives. Secondly, I would say we we begin to be honest with other believers. The reality is that the refining fire sits on all of us who are sons and daughters of God. Like he's doing a work in all of our lives right now. And so we need to learn to be a transparent community. And so what does that mean? It means if you're wrestling with doubt, somebody needs to know about that. As believers, it's not uncommon to wrestle with doubt. You just have to be honest about it with someone else. If you're sick, you need to be honest about that. If you're weary, you need to be honest about that. If your marriage is going the wrong direction, you need to be honest about that and stop this nonsense where you pretend that you are better than you actually are. Can I just say this morning, difficulty is not uncommon among the people of God. And so you don't need to feel ashamed that you're walking in some sort of difficulty. Be honest about it. And as you are in the community of faith, it's the people of God that will come around you and support you and hold you up and be the tangible presence of God in your life. Verse 11 says, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Can I just say this morning, ought sounds like a suggestion, right? You ought to do that, but it's not. It's not some suggestion that God is making. The Greek word for ought could be translated must. The the root word actually means to owe something. You owe a payment. You are under obligation. You must pay it back. Now let me restate the last part of verse 11 again from our original text. It says, if God loved us like this, we certainly, we certainly must love each other. We certainly must love each other. How do we do that? We do that by walking in community together, by admitting one to another, man, that we're fragile. Can I just say there's something so beautiful that happens when we acknowledge need in our lives? When I can say to you, you know what, I'm, I'm out of gas, man, I, I can't do this anymore. When I can be honest enough to say, I, I don't know what to do next and I'm confused. There's something so beautiful that happens when we do that in the community of faith. God uses that to change us. And finally, I would just encourage you this. If God is a refining fire, then you need to surrender to the process. You need to surrender to the process. Some of you just need to surrender to the process this morning. If God's great gift is effective, if it's meant to change you, if it's a refining fire, then you holding tight and not letting go of the things that God asked you to let go of, can I just say, is not wise. Because God's smarter than you. (laughs) God's smarter than me, right? 
because God is for us and not against us, here's what will happen sometimes. I believe this. God will break the hand that refuses to let go of what will harm it. You see, God's love for us, for you, is so deep and so rich that sometimes he'll break your hand. Wow, that sounds harsh, right? But in the face of the refining fire of God, here's what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to let go of whatever God asked me to let go of. I want to be able to, to lay it down before him. I want to be able to surrender to the process in my life. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. He was really the first megachurch pastor in history. This was back in the 1800s, and he would preach to 10,000 plus sometimes on the weekends. This was before microphones. This was before amplification, so you can imagine the voice of this great preacher. But what many don't know about Spurgeon is this. He also wrestled with depression. He was out of his pulpit at times for months on end because he was unable to get out of his bed. His wife also struggled with with all kinds of illness and sickness that would go on and on. And yet he said this, some powerful words. He said, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be confused. If I cannot trace his hand, I will always trust his heart. Let me say that again. God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be confused. If you cannot trust his hand, you can always trust his heart. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to encourage you, church, this morning. I want to challenge you in this Advent season. Don't lose heart. God is at work in the midst of the mess. If if you've come in here weary this morning, I believe you can leave encouraged. Because God's gift to us is useful, it's valuable, it's effective enough to transform us. And because of that, we ought to love one another. Why? Because God is not done loving the world yet. (laughs) He's not done loving the world yet. He wants to keep loving the world through you and me. Jesus said it this way, you are, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's a question this morning. Does God's love change you? Does it affect your behavior? Does it affect the way that you treat people? Let him refine you. You see, here's what his love is intended to do. It doesn't make toast. It doesn't make coffee. (laughs) No, it changes us into a loving, compassionate people who care for the needs around us. God wants to love the world, and he has a desire to do it through you. And so before we sing a word this morning as we close, we're just heads bowed around the room. I would just ask you to take a moment with the Lord. And I would ask you this question, are you willing to let God show his love through you? Are you willing to let God show his love through you? Then submit to the process. Submit to the process and let him change you and let him use you. Just take a moment with the Lord before we sing this morning.